0: All right, tonight we go back to Tertullian on baptism, so we may want to have that ready to go, Uh, Tertullian on baptism, you can pull that up, if I can find mine, all right, here we go, all right, before I go there, I want to make sure I have that open, all right, as we've been uh, looking at Tertullian on baptism, we started off first by looking at the Didache, right, then we went from the Didache to Tertullian. Um, what is some? What are some basic things that we have seen so far from the Didache and then going into Tertullian? What are some basic things that have jumped out at us that are just kind of clear, kind of obvious that we have seen? We've clear. I, I, I think everyone would agree with this one. There is a difference between the Didache yes. and Tertullian. Yes. Can we all agree with that? Yes. So something. Something, yeah, the uh, Didache was not a lot of details. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Wasn't an elaborate thing, was it, right? Instruction, fasting into the water. And that was pretty much it, right? Um, uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like all this craziness. Now, they didn't, uh, now obviously, to be fair, the Didache was not being written to try to fight a heresy. It was just trying to say, this is the way it is. Tertullian's trying to argue against the Canaanite, Canaanite heresy, and, uh, so, or, or, you know, that, that movement that was present. So obviously his writing's going to be a little bit different and be a little bit more trying to prove his point. So we know there's going to be some difference, but as he begins to describe baptism, I think we can agree, it's definitely much more elaborate, right? What are the, some, some of the things going on for Tertullian as he describes baptism? It's a sacrament. Yeah, basically anything water related was there, but when he described the actual act of baptism, remember the parts of it? It wasn't just put, it it didn't just deal with water. Remember, there were three, two other things. The anointing of oil and the laying on of hands. Okay, remember, right? So they're like, these things, other things did not show up in the Didache, right? Okay, so there was these other parts to it. So in other words, it became more elaborate and more detailed, all right? And so as we, and not only that, We've gotten into some very confusing things. He seems to make it clear that it's necessary for salvation. Then he kind of made an exception, but then he turned around and basically said, hey, I don't know you can do all of these things without baptism. So it's been a little bit confusing trying to work through it. So here's what I want to do before we get back to Tertullian. Here's what I want to do. What I have a tendency to do, if anyone pays any attention, is that whenever I'm dealing with crazy theological issues that are just difficult and nobody can agree and everyone's fighting and arguing i have a tendency to try to reduce the issue to the like most basic 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 level right because sometimes for me whenever you're because you can fight and fight and fight and you know typically how the fights work you quote your scripture i quote my scripture neither one of us really listens to each other we talked past each other and guess what gets resolved Nothing, right? But if you can step back from all of that and go, okay, okay. Let's try to bring this down to the most basic level. For example, the arguments between, say, dispensationalists versus covenant theology. uh, The issues between an amillennialist versus a premillennialist. Some of those never-ending disputes. You could quote scripture forever, right? Everybody should say amen, right? And nobody gets anywhere. So what did I do? I'm like, okay, let's not argue about this. What we need to establish is, first, who was the new covenant made with? House of Israel, House of Judah. All right, that seems to be that the new covenant was made with? Israel, all right. Some say, well, no, 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 no. It's spiritual Israel. Remember all the debates that start? And no, oh, this passage in Isaiah or Ezekiel, that's not actually referring to Israel. That's referring to the church. And that promise goes to us, but that curse goes to them. And it's fight. And then you get into hermeneutical arguments and it's fight, 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 fight. So what did I decide to do? If you ever want to remember what I did? I'm like, well, let's not fight about it. Let's just establish... What we find, if we just stop with all of the arguing and go through every single reference to the word Israel in the Bible, close to 3,000. By the time we were done, we had possibly one, maybe two, where there was a question, but almost every single one was Israel. I mean, there was just no way to get around it, right? I mean, in many cases, you had these clear identifiers. House of Israel. House of Judah. Like these really clear, distinguishing marks. So now once we establish that, all, everyone can argue all they want. But what do we know to be just an absolute fact? That when the Bible refers to Israel, it seems to be referring to the nation of Israel. End of story. And if it's referring to the nation of Israel, then when I read promises to that nation that have not been fulfilled, I've only got two options. God lied. Or they haven't been fulfilled yet. Right? I simplify it. See, I simplify it, right? So, for example, people will argue. They can quote scripture all day about healings, right? They can argue. Well, the Bible seems to say healing here and healing here. The Bible says by his stripes we're healed. Okay? You can have all of those arguments. What do I reduce it to? If healing is guaranteed in the atonement, then why aren't people healed, every Christian healed? And why do Christians die? And Why do Christians have to have glasses or a hearing aid or high blood pressure medication or whatever the case may be? Clearly, I can just go, look, you can argue all day. That's just something that can be, that's an observable, objective fact that no one can argue against. So I will reduce it to that. And and that doesn't mean that I'm dismissive of the scriptures. It just means sometimes I have to go back to what I can definitively know. Because I know in 2,000 years, everyone quotes the scripture and everyone thinks they're right. So at some point I'm like, okay, what can I know for sure? What can I know for sure? Another example is all the argument about we have power, we have power, we have power, we have power. Well, what do I know over and over and over and over? We fail, we fail, we fail, we fail. So then immediately, you know, there's a limit to the power. And if there's a limit to the power, then what are we fighting about? 50% more power, 40% more power, 30%. Like, how do you even, like, why would you even argue about that? Like, you're arguing about a limited power that does not get us to perfection. And if you want to believe you have the power, do I say you can't believe that? You can believe it all day. I don't have it and you can go oh, oh that's horrible but but if i'm a believer then i have it whether i believe it or not right so then what the, like it's just a, a ridiculous argument and i could go on and on and on i'm always trying to reduce the things to the very basic right to the very for example when you mention limited atonement does everyone lose their mind everyone loses their mind and what do i do with limited atonement oh, i oh, i always go back to the most basic concepts right did jesus die Yes. Did he die for everyone? Well, if you say he did, well, then everyone should be saved. So here's what I know. You limit the atonement, and I limit the atonement. You limit the atonement to who is saved, and I limit the atonement to the intent of who would be saved. But everyone limits the atonement. So why argue everyone limits it? Unless you're a universalist, right? Everybody should say amen, right? Like everyone limits it because not everyone is saved. So you limit it. And so what do you, what, some people believe it's limited by what? Us. And I believe it's limited by God and his intent. He, Jesus died for those whom he would save because if he died for them, you think they would be saved, right? Like like it's. But bottom line is, whether you believe in limited atonement or don't believe in a limited atonement, who is going to be saved? Those who believe. <laughs> right? So then well, like, you, I reduce it to try to, to try to do that. Well, when it comes to baptism, what I want to do tonight is reduce things to some, base, to some basically four words, or maybe five words, we'll see. All right. we'll, we'll, Two of them I kind of put together, but you'll see. All right, You ready? First two words I want you to write down are regulative and normative. Regulative and normative. Regulative and normative. And the next two are produces or reflects. And with reflects, you can put a little kind of a slash and put demonstrates, depending on which word you want to use produces or reflects and demonstrates. Regulative normative produces or reflects slash demonstrates. Now, some of you probably know exactly where I'm going with this right here, right? Now, regulative normative, everybody knows what this means, right? a regulative the regulative principle or the normative principle very like key in theology right what does the regu- regulative principle states typically in the reformed tradition the rule is that only those things that scripture tells us to do is necessary uh, in, uh, or necessary inferences from them are permitted in worship. So basically only what the scriptures tells us to do are permitted in worship. The scripture has to give us a direct command, do this a a correct instruction or at least there's a you can infer it from the scriptures but it has to be extremely extremely clear right? That's a regulative principle Um, not, not necessarily I mean well, I mean, under, under normative, we may use permi- the word permissive, under normative. okay. All right, so there's regulative. So the regulative would say, what can we do? Only what scripture tells us to do, all right? And the normative principle, what is the normative principle? The normative principle is that anything not expressly forbidden is permitted, So what do we need for the regulative to work? If you're going to use the regulative principle, what do you need? Express scripture telling you what to do. I mean, you've got to have something clear. There's got to be a clear example. There's got to be something clearly inferred. There's got to be something there. It's got to be clear. And the normative principle, what do you need? You can do anything except what is expressly pro- forbidden or prohibited. Now, immediately then, when we look to baptism, do you see where regulative and normative comes into play big time here? Does anybody understand what, how, how this would impact what you believe about baptism? Or no? I'm hearing silence. That's a bad sign. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a bad sign. Does everybody understand how this would like literally, absolutely change everything? Well, yeah, I mean you don't. Okay, if you were a regulative, then you would not see emphasis. Oh wow, okay. Well, you can you can name the specific issue if you want. You can name the specific <laughs> issue if you want. But I but the point is, what would you have to have? You would have to have something in scripture that specifically says do this. And if you don't have a scripture that says, do this, you don't do. And if you're normative, you can do anything unless the scripture says, you don't do it. So let me give you a very popular uh, practice in the modern evangelical church. Your child gets baptized, guess who gets to baptize the child? The parent. That's very popular in the evangelical world. If someone in the family, a family member can baptize. That, that, that's, that, what principle is being used there? That's straight up normative. Okay, that's crazy normative. Another example, partaking of the Lord's Supper at your house. Is that regulative or normative? That's straight up normative. That's crazy normative. Yeah, that's like not so normative. That's way out there. All right. What are some other examples? Stephen mentioned infant baptism. Well, what's weird is many of the people who hold to the regulative principle believe in infant baptism. <laughs> okay, so, so that's where it gets interesting, isn't it? So what I'm saying is, if you're reading Tertullian... Right? Or even if you go back to the early church, because always the argument is, the early church did this, and the early church did this, and the early church did this. If you're using the regulative principle, what do you think about what the early church did? You don't care. Why would you care? Right? Because the only thing you can do is what? What the scriptures clearly say. Now, if you hold to the normative... Well, you can do anything as long as there's not a prohibition against it. So you may love what the early church did. You think the normative would be more drawn to the early church than the regulative. But in many cases, it's those who hold to the regulative who are more drawn to the early church than those who hold to the normative. Is that not weird to you? Because it's the reformed world who loves church history. It's the reformed world who wants to read the church fathers. But it's the reformed world who holds to the regulative principle. But ultimately, why, why care, right? The scriptures don't say. I don't care if, if infant baptism was the practice from day one all the way till the end. Because it doesn't have any influence on me. I need a scripture. And if it's normative... All I need to know is there's no prohibition against it. And if there's no prohibition against it, then Stacy can baptize whoever, Bobby can baptize, we, anybody can just baptize anybody. Like we can do. Yeah, I mean, is there a scripture commanding that you can't be baptized and sprite? No, I mean, like you know what I'm saying? You can just do all kinds of crazy stuff, right? I mean, I mean, you, you, I know that may be taking it to an extreme, but it's not really an extreme in the sense of that, the normative principle unless there's something that specifically condemns it. So when we read Tertullian, when we read something he says, you have to ask yourself, okay, if I look at this from the regulative principle, what do I need? A scripture. If I'm looking at it from a normative, I just need to make sure nothing is prohibited against what he is saying. Does that make sense? So that, 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 that becomes a big part of what you decide to do with baptism. All right? Now, we, are, we already see a little of Tertullian not using the regulative principle, haven't we? What would be a good example of where he didn't use the regulative principle? The anointing of oil and laying on of hands. Do we have any example of that? Right? Do you have any, like, hey, when you go baptize, anoint with oil and lay hands on them? Some of you are, not, are looking like you don't know. Are, are we doing? Okay, we're, at some point we'll go through all the scriptures on baptism, make sure you, you guys know what's there. But I, 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 I think most would know that I don't know of any clear scripture that tells me to do that, right? I don't have any that would prohibit it. So, again, whichever one you go with. Now, you see why Christianity can be so divided? Is there agreement on whether we should use the regulative or normative? No. If we can't even agree on that principle, then there will never be agreement within the body of Christ. Ever. What do you think most use? Well, they probably would. Most would try to claim they used the regulative, but in practice, they, they put forth the normative i mean all the, look at all the things churches do there's no scripture telling the church to do those things potlucks ice cream social this that that all these activities there's nothing reg- where is the reg- where is the the church called to do that in fact the best the best example we have is when they started bringing a mill into the church what did paul tell them to do in at, at home the regulative principle would be what in a home, okay? <laughs> but even the churches that hold to the regular principle have all of those activities and all of those things, meaning they're using the normative. And if you point that out, they'll be like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, I know, you're right. It's a, yeah. so, but I just want you to see that the, this is very important how you operate. And it has a very important element to baptism, all right? Now, those next two. What do you think I'm trying to say with the next two? Well, we can can go from a a lot of uh, uh, perspectives here. When it comes to baptism, is it producing something? In other words, does it produce repentance? Does it produce faith? Or does it reflect or demonstrate something? Is it producing something or is it reflecting and demonstrating something? Like, the thing is already there, and it's either just reflecting it. It's demonstrating this reality. Or is it producing a reality? That's a big difference, yes? If it produces it, then, we, we, we use Bobby as an example. We would baptize Bobby, and then what would be the result of that baptism? It would produce his repentance and its faith. In other words, the, he wouldn't repent and believe and be baptized, he would be baptized so he could repent and believe. Is it producing it or is it reflecting it? Now, if it's simply reflecting or demonstrating, he would get baptized to reflect and to demonstrate his repentance and his faith. That in a sense, he's dying to his old way and walking in He's demonstrating that. And in one way, it demonstrates the reality that he is dead to his old life and he is new in his position because he's united with Christ. Or it's either it's producing that. That's a big difference. Tertullian has seemed at times to indicate that it does what? It produces. It does not reflect, but it actually produces these things. But at the same time, he's kind of turned around and trying to make an exception for that Only then to backtrack and then try to say, no, it does demonstrate that. Yeah, and uh, well, we've seen all of that. Okay, so now, any questions about that? So as as we struggle through baptism, I just want you to remember those phrases. I want you to remember those words and remember those concepts because I'm going to bring it up a number of times because I think it's what it all comes down to. At some point, we're going to have three historical sources. We're going to know what they say. And the one thing that we've already demonstrated is that at least with amongst two of the, the sources, they don't agree. Not only that, we can see Tertullian has definitely gone beyond what scriptures regulate, meaning he's using the normative. Now, if he's using the normative, either that means we should use the normative, and if you use the normative, the, how crazy can it get? I always find it weird that a lot of people who typically their church practices the normative well, then condemn another church that's using the normative. Like, their church does all of these activities and they got these ministries and you're like, well, where is that in scripture? But then if another church in town has a pastor zip line across the sanctuary to the pulpit, everybody's like, how dare they do Why? Why are you condemning it? If you can use the normative, can't they? So then it comes down that you're not even using the regulative or the normative. What are you using? Your own personal preference. And then you get to tell everyone else that they're all the time. There will be people, you look at their churches and they, they have all of these activities. And then a pastor walks on stage, you know, and, and he, because he's wearing jeans or wear, they'll really be like, look at how he's dressed. Can you give me a scripture that tells how a pastor is supposed to be dressed? Can you give me one? nothing so like how do you regulate that normative he can do what anything that's not prohibited but even regulative how would you even regulate it does it does it say you have to have a tie obviously there was no ties at the time but some pastors would be like you don't wear a tie you're gone like what do you have to wear So it's amazing that sometimes people, where there's not even a clear principle, people will, they, they, it's like it's written in stone. This is what happens. If you do this, this is this. And, they, and it's like, where do all these rules, there's a million rules that float around and everybody just accepts the rules as authoritative. But this, this has profound impact on what you do with baptism. All right, now, let's go back. What chapter did we stop with? We stopped with twelve, and remember that crazy paragraph at the end. <coughs> All right, does everybody remember that one? Okay, and uh, and remember the issue was where was it? Um, he goes back to thy faith. This is at the end of chapter twelve, Tertullian on baptism. Thy faith, he would say, hath saved thee. And thy sin shall be remitted thee on thy believing, of course, albeit thou be not yet baptized, if thou was wanting to the apostles. I know not in the faith of what things it was that roused by one word of the Lord, one who left the toll booth uh, behind forever, another deserted the father and ship and the craft by which he gained his living. All right. And then, and then you've got the one who disdained his father's basically, what, last rites kind of concept, his uh, funeral arrangements. Fulfilled before he heard it, the highest precept of the Lord, he prefers father or mother to me, is not worthy of me. And why did that paragraph cause us so many problems? Not only because how it's worded, because it's worded really weird, but what was the issue that we had? Does anybody remember the issue we had just briefly before we move on quickly? Well, that's the, yeah, that's the whole chapter. But what happened with this paragraph or, or this like, little last section? Remember, we, cut, we had major issues here. We, it took us about 25 minutes. Because previously, he seemed to make an exception, right? right. That, hey, even, even if these weren't baptized, they had such a close relationship with God that it had to count, that somehow it had to count. But then he comes back here, and what did we seem, well, there was disagreement. Well, what do we think he seems to be saying here at the end? Well, wait a minute. There's no, I can't think of a way they would have done this without baptism, which seems to indicate that he believes baptism is not reflecting or demonstrating, but baptism is producing. Does everybody remember that? Okay, all right. Are we sure we're good on that paragraph? Because it was a mess, was it not? Because that's the most wordy thing. Is it not? I mean, just that first part. Thy faith, he would say, hath saved thee, and thy sin shall be remitted thee. On thy believing, of course, albeit thou be not yet baptized. If that was wanting to the apostles, in other words, what is wanting in the apostles? Baptism, right? In other words, if that was missing for them, I know not the faith of what things it was that roused by one word of the Lord, one left, and then it talks about all these things that they did, right? And he doesn't know how that could have happened without baptism. Meaning that in his mind, he still, even though he seemed to make an exception, and why did he have to make an exception? Or why did he feel like he had to make an exception? Yeah, there's no scriptures that seem to prove that all the disciples were baptized, right? Now, but what would be the question that we need to ask ourselves? If if all the apostles were baptized, because now he seems to indicate that they had to be, right? Right? Because he can't see how how could this work without baptism? Well, then what would be the question everyone here should ask? And I asked this at the end of the last time we covered this. What about Judas? Because if, if all of them somehow were baptized, Judas would have clearly been baptized, because everyone else would have been like, what's up with him? When they started hearing something bad was going to happen, no one even pointed the finger at Judas. So he was under the radar, so there was nothing that would have given So that means, why didn't that baptism work on Judas? So if baptism produces, why doesn't it produce... For everyone, right? So that would be the question that we would ask, okay? Everybody remember that? I know it's a crazy paragraph. I know that paragraph is a mess. I know it's a mess, but I, I, can't, I can't fix the way it was written, all right? Next chapter, which is? 13. And what is this chapter about? All right, so now he's dealing with objections because somebody would be like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're going to say baptism is necessary for salvation. And what's kind of the first argument he dealt with? Well, wait a minute. We don't know if all the apostles were baptized. So how could they be saved? So he, he thinks he's given us an answer for there. He kind of make an exception for them. But then he kind of took the exception away. All right. So it's kind of a weird apologetic. Now he's going to turn to. Well, wait a minute. Someone could say, Abraham, please God without being baptized. Answer there too? Old things must give place to new, and baptism is now a law. Now, what is significant about that chapter heading? Baptism is now a law. Now, why would that be significant? You'd have to be baptized, but what would that mean to soteriology? that we are saved by what we do. Now, even though they try to say it's a work of God, if it's a law and you're doing it, then you're obeying the law. Now, if we, a, if we looked at it from an imputed righteousness part, what could we say? Christ obeyed the law, therefore I am saved by his baptism, not my baptism. He's clearly not looking at it from an imputed way, is he? It doesn't appear so. But if it's a law and we do it, right? For example, a church of Christ. When they say you must be baptized in order to be saved, that's a false gospel. Because they just gave you a law in order for you to be that you're doing. I'm sorry, that's a, that's a false gospel. That's just, there's, not, there's no true gospel in that. That's a complete obliteration of the true gospel. That, that's a mess. That's a major mess. All right, here we go. All right. Now, I love this. What does he refer to his critics here at the very beginning of this uh, chapter? Miscreants. Isn't that a, a, a funny term? All right, here, okay. here then, those miscreants provoke questions. And so they say, baptism is not necessary for them to whom faith is sufficient. So there's those out there claiming what? Hey, faith is sufficient. Don't need to be baptized. Don't need to be baptized. And he's not happy with these people. He's, he's responding to these individuals, right? right. And these miscreants, OK, right? He, he's, he's, he's responding to them. And what does he say? Right? Well, what are their argument is, forwithal? Abraham pleased God by a sacrament of no water but of faith. So he refers to faith as the sacrament, right? Which is interesting because he's clearly, the word sacrament in his mind is something that brings about salvation. It's it's salvific in some way, shape, or form. Yes? Okay. So, So others would be making the claim that salvation is by what? Alone, right? It seems like they were making an argument for faith alone and Tertullian is making an argument against the faith alone argument, right? Because it's not, and again, what we need to know, what produces the faith? Does baptism produce the faith? Or do you believe in order to get baptized? I mean, those are important questions in how this works. Okay, but here we go. But in all cases... It is the latter things which have a conclusive force and the subsequent which prevail over the antecedent. Everybody got that? But in all cases, it is the latter things which have a conclusive force and the subsequent which prevail over the antecedent. How would you summarize that? That which comes after is more important. So, Abraham, Abraham didn't have the baptism at the time, right? So, what comes after takes precedent over that which becomes before. So, that's how he's making an, uh, his argument. He's making an argument. Now, where does that argument arise from? Does it arise from Scripture? Well, he's making a statement that it's true in all cases. Yeah, in all cases. But he's. Well, he would, he, would, he would probably point to, you had animal sacrifices, but what was greater is that which came which came after. So that's probably kind of the way he would make an argument, right? Yeah. Okay, so you can see how he could try to make a scriptural argument, yes. Right. Well, let, let's see where he goes here. He says, grant that in days gone by, there was salvation by means of bare faith before the passion and resurrection of the Lord. Now, this is interesting because this is making an argument that there was, people were saved differently in the past than they are now, which is interesting because people will argue, well, you di- dispensation. So because there's some dispensationalist who will take that there was a salvation basically by works in the Old Testament and a salvation by grace in the New. Well, whenever they say that, people lose their minds. But we have Tertullian early on basically saying in an opposite way, right? In the past, you were saying by faith, bare faith. faith alone. Now, it requires something else. So, it's just, sometimes when people will make an argument against a theology, you're like, yeah, this kind of argumentation has been going on for a very long time, all right? But now, here we go, but now that faith has been enlarged and it became a faith which believes in his nativity, passion, and resurrection and there has been an amplification added to the sacrament. The sealing act of baptism, the clothing in some sense of the faith which which before was bare and which cannot exist now without its proper law. So now, faith alone can't, can't survive. Faith alone won't work now. It's got to be clothed. By what? By a law. right? He uses the word law, does he not? Does he use the word law? Okay, I just want to make sure we see that and understand that because that, that immediately, why is this important? Why am I stressing this so much? Because, okay, so, let me, again, let me, try, I, 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 let me try my best to help everyone understand what I always do. Whenever we get to these complicated issues, I try to make sure you remember what's simple, right? If you're going to believe that we are not saved by the keeping of the law, if you're going to believe that we are not saved by works, I don't, then you can debate this stuff all day. Either he's making a claim that you're saved by what you do, so then it's not a, no longer about baptism. What does it become an argument about? Salvation. Forget baptism. Like everyone over here, but you're yelling and screaming, no, you have to be. No, no, no. No, no, no. The issue is, do I believe in a salvation by grace alone through faith alone because of Christ alone? If I do, I don't even care to argue about your baptism. You have a false gospel. Does that make sense? There's no use in arguing the baptism Because you're making an argument against salvation, being by faith. See, that's to me that when when you say infant baptism is salvific, right? That to me is where the issue becomes, right? Because that child being baptized and saved does not possess what? Faith. So therefore, that would be a salvation, apart from faith, unless you say that baptism produces the faith. And if you're going to say it produces the faith, if you have a teenager at home right now who doesn't believe, go get them. Drag them up here. We'll force them into the water, and they'll come out of the water with faith. If it produces faith, then baptize everyone. And if it doesn't produce faith, then you have salvation apart from faith. Do you see the logical inference that happens here? That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Like everyone wants to be debating about baptism. I'm over here debating way back here. What do we believe about salvation? If it produces the faith, then just baptize anyone and everyone, whether they want to or not, because they will ultimately... When they come out of the water, they're going to have faith. And people will say, that's, a, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. If it produces it, it will do it. And if it doesn't produce it, then you have salvation apart from faith, which is a major problem, right? Okay, so that, that's what I, I, I want you to, whenever we get into these issues, fall back to what is simple fall back to what we can stand on, right? Because either we have to just throw out everything we believe about salvation, and if we're going to throw it all out, then I don't even know what's the point. Just everyone just forget it and just go home and we'll be done with it, all right? All right, so here we go. So uh, he says, in some sense of the faith which before was bare and which cannot exist now without its, without its proper law. For the law of baptizing has been imposed and the formula prescribed. Go, he hath, he he saith, teach the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, he says that's kind of where the law is imposed. Okay, I think the law there, what, 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 if we say that's a law, what, what, what's the law? That we go and baptize. doesn't necessarily say the law is telling someone to be baptized to be saved, but okay. In other words, the, 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 the law there is for the church to go and do it. That's not being prescribed to the one who should be. In other words, we'd have to have a whole discussion there. But you, you get the idea of what I'm trying to say? All right. Okay. I hope, I hope that makes sense. All right. Uh, the comparison with this law of that definition, unless a man have been reborn of water and spirit, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right. So where does he go again to try to prove this requirement of, of baptism? Where does he go? What is he quoting there? Where is he quoting? John three. Everybody, make sure you look at John three five. Everybody, look at John three five. Everybody, look at John three five, just so that you can see it for yourself. All right. Now, what are the basic? Just just to remind ourselves, what are the basic issues with John three making that reference of baptism? What's the issues with making that reference baptism? Okay, first, baptism's been used earlier, so why wouldn't Jesus just use the word? All right, that, that would make sense. Two, this is, uh, this is way before Jesus is going to give, I mean, at least about almost three years before Jesus is going to say, go baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it'd be weird that he'd be instituting it now, right? And if he's going to institute it here, why wouldn't he say it? Not only that, look at the text, does it not make a distinction or is is it not making a contrast between that which is of the flesh and that which is of the spirit? And does it seem to refer, and does it seem to also be making a distinction between physical birth and spiritual birth? And what is the water seems to be connected with? The physical, the physical birth. I think I think that's a put it this way, even if someone disagrees with that interpretation, they would have to at least acknowledge it's a possibility. Yes? Like, I don't know how you can come there and just say, that's baptism. No, you are imposing that there. And again, if baptism is already talked about, why wouldn't you? Why would Jesus so here's someone trying to figure out how to be saved, and you're going to say Jesus completely hides the fact from him? Now, maybe, maybe that's possible. But it would seem like it, it would lead to nothing but confusion. For t- well, guess what? It's led to nothing but. Confusion for 2,000 years, so, yeah, whatever, all right, okay, so here we go. That he uses the word reborn, but we talk about being born again. Reborn reborn born of water of water. Yeah. Yeah. so i'm make sure i try to understand what you're saying so that the uh, the water there isn't that the water has to be bacterized because you were doing it again reach, I don't know. Never mind. no 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 no. Well, i t- i'm just trying to understand i'm just trying to understand so you're saying that he's Like you were born of water once a night oh know. okay so you're but saying I'm Okay, right, but you're saying that using the word reborn is like, okay, you were, you were physically born with water, now you're going to be spiritually born with water. Okay, I see, I see. So he's using it in a way to try to prove the, his, the way he's looking at the passage. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, all right, that makes sense. I mean, I disagree with him, but I see what you're saying. That he's using that term then to be very, maybe to be very much put his interpretation into the text. All right, that, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then he adds reborn there to try to make it very clear that, hey, this second birth happens with water. Just like the first, the second, the secondary water. Right. You would think, well, if you're born the first time with water, why didn't that water count? Right? <laughs> but I'm just saying everywhere else, water, remember, they could have possibly been baptized by being on the ship and caught in the rain. Right? Remember? So, I know he was being sarcastic, but... Yeah, but, but I mean, he's pretty come close to saying, I mean, you know, Adam, because dirt was put on him and it had to have water in it, you know, so, all right. But that, yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Um, it says, so unless a man have been reborn of water and spirit, he shall not enter into the kingdom of heavens, has tied faith to the necessity of baptism. Now it says tied faith to the necessity of baptism. That's an interesting way of saying that, Right. Does that seem to imply that you cannot have faith without baptism? Or am I reading that incorrectly? How, how do you guys read it? Right, but I'm saying by the necessity of baptism, he's saying without baptism you won't have faith? So that would seem to imply that he's saying baptism produces faith, yes? Or at least it seems to infer it. Can we agree that it infers it? It ties it together. And do you, I just want you to... Okay. Right, but I just want to make sure, to, what, the minute we see that he's possibly inferring that, I want you to see the logical issues that arises from it. Because again, if baptism produces faith, well then, every, all you have to do is baptize someone and they will have faith. Okay. Right, you, you had to do it the right way, but it still would have to occur. All right. All right then he goes on to say, accordingly, all thereafter who become baptized became ba- believers, I'm sorry. Accordingly, all thereafter who became believers used to be baptized then it was too that Paul, when he believed, was baptized, and this is the meaning of the precept which the Lord had given him when smitten with the plague of the loss of sight, saying, Arise and enter Damascus. There shall be demonstrated to thee what thou oughtest to do. To wit, be baptized, which was the only thing lacking to him. That point expected, ex- accepted, he had sufficiently learned and believed the Nazarene, to be the Lord of the Son of God. Now there he seems to refer to what what must precede baptism. There he seems to infer faith must precede baptism. Now if faith must precede baptism, then now what's the issue? Now we have another issue. If faith precedes baptism, then you can't baptize babies that don't have faith. So does it produce faith? Or is faith required for it? That last, does he not seem to infer there at the end that faith is required? What was lacking in Paul? Because he already had the faith. So the baptism doesn't produce the faith. He had the faith prior to the baptism. So is is faith a a necessary thing for baptism or does baptism produce it? Are we are we confused on this paragraph? Okay. Okay, okay. I'll okay, Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're so inexplicably tied that you cannot loose them. Right. You definitely can't loose them. Okay, going back to has tied faith in the sense of I wouldn't read that as method producing faith. I would So he would say. Right. But remember in the previous chapter, he made it very clear that he doesn't know of a faith that you can have without baptism. So that seems to infer in the last chapter that it's the faith, that it's a faith that produces it. That it's a baptism that produces that kind of faith. In other words, you can't have the kind of faith that will leave mother and father and do all of this unless you're baptized. Meaning that the baptism produces that kind of faith. This seems to infer that you have the faith prior to your baptism. I'm saying, what I'm trying to demonstrate is whichever way you go, because he seems to at times flip-flop a little bit, right? And I agree how Sarah put it, that he has definitely made them like forever linked together. I do believe that. But what I want you to see is that no matter which direction you go, you run into a problem, right? Does everybody understand the problem? If faith... Is required before baptism that you now have eliminated what? Infinite. All infant baptism completely. If baptism produces faith, then what should occur? Everyone. You should just baptize anyone and everyone, right? Because what would be the result? A faith that would leave mother and father and a faith that would do all of those wonderful things, leave your job, leave everything. You know, not worry about your, you know, your father's funeral. You would just go and follow Christ. Yeah. I, think, I think that also when he says has tied faith to the necessity of baptism, if you have faith, you will be baptized. Is kind of the way is. Right, which then would eliminate infant baptism. But the problem is, is the prior chapter made it very clear that it was the baptism that produced that kind of faith. You wouldn't, yeah, he's like, I don't know of a faith that anyone who could have this faith who wasn't baptized. So, like, you can have a faith, but then your faith kicks into super level when you get baptized. Like, either way, he's, he's, he's making baptism as a producing something. So if he makes it producing something, you see which logical problem you come into. And if it's not producing something, you see which logical problem you come into. That's what I want you to see. In other words, I can agree with so I want to make sure everyone has that because everyone's kind of looking, I want to make sure we got this, right? So is everybody with me here? If baptism produces faith, what's the logical consequence? Okay, we all have to be on the same page here. You now if faith, if faith... Is required or if baptism produces faith, what is the logical consequence? If, if baptism produces faith, what is the logical consequence? Now, if baptism produces faith, then we just baptize anyone. And they will believe. That's the logical conclusion, right? You just grab your 15-year-old, you will be baptized. You can grab anyone. You can just say, you can just go to work and say, I'll give you $50 if you get baptized. Because if they get baptized, what's produced? Faith. Are we we sure we're good on this? Okay, we got to have this down. If baptism produces faith, you just baptize anyone. You open up the church and you just say, hey, kids, come for summer camp and jump in this pool, all right, okay? And now I'm going to say in the name of the... Before you jump in, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, boom. And then they come out with? Faith. faith. All right, everybody see that. So if baptism produces it, then there's a logical inference that comes from it. If faith is required before baptism, what's the logical inference? No, if at baptism... Because they don't have faith. So no matter which direction you go, there's a logical problem. Does everybody see that? That's what I want us to see, okay? And here at the end, what does he seem to be inferring? They're, that they're linked together, but when it comes to Paul, he seems to infer that the, baptiz- that the faith precedes the baptism. But in the previous chapter, he seems to infer that the baptism is what produces the faith. Well, does he, say that Paul was an exception? well he does seem to say Paul was possibly an exception. Yes. Um, all who became believers used to be baptized, then talks about Paul and it says at that point, he has... Right. He may have been an exception, but the point is, if if one person can be an exception, then like, how does that work? I'm just saying, either way, he's doing. He's flip-flopping, no matter how you look at it, right? He kind of made an exception that you don't have to be baptized. Then he made an argument, well, I, 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 you can't have this kind of faith without it. Then he comes back here, and try, he clearly says they're forever, forever linked, but then he talks about, well, Paul having faith prior to the baptism. That's all, that's all I'm trying to, sh- to say. That's all I'm trying to demonstrate. It's just, there's this kind of back and forth happening. Why do you think there's a back and forth happening? Why do you think he seems to be so struggling to just be completely consistent? Why do you think? Okay, well, clearly, yeah, well, he's not even attempting to try to figure it out from scripture, right? I mean, look, look, he's the best scripture he's, he's not even really quoted many scriptures, right? I mean, he's not expounding scripture. But, I mean, I think, the, I think what we're demonstrating is how confusing this can be. The minute you bring baptism in, here's what I want you to see. The minute you bring baptism into connecting it to salvation, the problems ensue, right? Because if baptism becomes necessary for salvation, then you've got to answer a million questions, right? Is it the baptism that produces the salvation, or is it salvation that leads to the baptism? And if, bapti- if baptism produces it, well, then everyone should just b- baptize everyone. And if it's not the one producing it, or if it's not a that, right? Like, like, there's all kinds of issues that come into play. And so you're going to struggle to be consistent, if that makes sense. All right, we're, we got one paragraph. Let's see if we can read this one quick. All right? Of Paul's assertion that he had not been sent to baptize. Now, does everybody know where Paul says this? First Corinthians, everybody look at 1 Corinthians one seventeen really quick. I believe it's 1, it's, yeah, well, depending on your translation of Tertullian, you may have a footnote that gives you the scripture. First Corinthians one seventeen. what does Paul say? Christ sent me not to baptize. Now, if you believe baptism is essential for salvation, don't you believe that verse is a little difficult for you? very difficult. So what is Tertullian's answer? Everybody ready? But they roll back an objection from the apostle himself in that he said, for Christ sent me not to baptize, as if by this argument, baptism were done away. For if so, why did he baptize Gaius and Crispus and the house of Stephanus? However, even if Christ had not sent him to baptize, Yet he had given other apostles the precept to baptize. But these words were written to the Corinthians and regarded the circumstances of that particular time, seeing that schisms and dissensions were agitated among them while one attributes everything to Paul, another to Apollos. For this reason, the peacemaking apostle, for fear he should seem to claim all gifts for himself, says that he had been sent not to baptize but to preach. For preaching is the prior thing, baptism, baptism, the posterior. Therefore, the preaching came first, but I think baptizing withal was lawful to him to whom preaching was. That's a very short paragraph, isn't it? Why do you think the paragraph is so short? Why do you think it's so short? He doesn't have an argument. I mean, he uh, he went much further into trying to figure out how water, wherever you find it in Genesis, means baptism. He went into greater detail than he does here, because he what's what's the best argument that he has? Well, it was for that particular time in that particular place. But guess what? That church was a mess, right? Go back two chapters. A faith that will leave everything. A faith that will follow Christ a faith that will leave the tax collector table the, t- the 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 faith that will hey won't even allow your father's death to get in the way that kind of faith comes from baptism well then it would sound like the church of corinth needed what baptism Well, even if, it, well, first of all, I don't know how he's a peacemaker when he threatens to bring, you know, whips to people, but okay. But I, I would say this, even if he wanted to be the peacemaker, what did the church need? They need to be fixed, right? Well, if baptism produces, then you baptize. Even if you say it doesn't produce the faith, it energizes the faith, it clothes the faith, it makes the faith stronger, it makes it better, well, the then, then you, got it, you, got it, you would be baptizing them to fix the problem. I mean, his argument there is pathetic. I mean, typically anyone who tries to explain that away has major problems because, I mean, there's the Apostle Paul saying, I wasn't sent to baptize. If it's essential to salvation, that's, that's paramount to saying what? Yeah, I wasn't sent to save anybody. Hey, there's some people here I haven't baptized. I don't care if you go to hell. Right? Hey, I wasn't sent for you guys to get saved because I'm not going to baptize you. Even if you say he was there to make make the peace. How, How good of peace is that to let people go to hell? So you, once again, do you see the problem? If baptism produces that kind of faith, he would have been baptizing to fix the problems in Corinth. Because clearly their faith was jacked up. Yes? If if, uh, if, if baptism produces the faith, he would be fixing it. If uh, faith is required for baptism, well, then that wasn't, wouldn't have much of an issue here, right? But, uh, because it wouldn't really matter, but it would obviously preclude infant baptism completely. All right? Does anybody have something? I see everybody looking around at different things. Do we have... No, he didn't baptize very many people. Just uh, how many houses? Three, uh, two or three? Says, uh, I baptized also the household of Stephanus. But before that, Crispus and Gaius. Yeah, Crispus, Gaius, and the household of Stephanus. Yeah, that's not very many people. I yeah. yeah, I don't even remember if he, he did thank any thank others. God that he didn't. <laughs> and, he, and I thank God that I didn't. Now, why? Right. But it, it can't be more, and, and even, see, uh, Tertullian tries to argue that preaching is more important. A little bit he tries to imply in that paragraph, did he not? But guess what? It can't be more important if, so, if baptism is required for salvation. It, they would be equal. I could preach all day, but if I don't baptize you, you go to hell. So the, Tertullian's argument is, is so bad so bad there and that's why it's a paragraph that quick because he doesn't have he doesn't know what to say (laughs) all right okay any questions yes no no questions are you all experts now okay what chapter we stop on all right we have how many chapters to go we have 20, so we basically have, you said we're done with 14, so we have 5 to go. Right? 15, 16, 17, or 6, whatever, it's math, whatever. There's some number that we have to go, but we're getting close. So the goal is, we're going to do everything in our power, finish it probably Sunday night. We're going to do everything we can. I don't know, if we, how, how long are those chapters? Let me look. That one was so short. is not too long. 20 is long. 20 is long. OK. All right. No.. May, 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 maybe what we'll do is we'll use Sunday school and Sunday night. Okay, maybe Sunday school and Sunday night. Sunday school and Sunday night. Sunday school and Sunday night. Then we can finish it, because I want to be done with Tertolian and I would like to be done Sunday. Why? This is basically our Sunday school, right? The next hour, I would have to review because that's when everyone shows up, right? Okay. I mean, right? Yeah. I, was, I mean, there's some people who may show up who wouldn't know, but I'll just, I mean, there's, I mean, like, yeah, look, I'm just like, look, look, if you haven't been with us this far, I, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I don't know what Can to you tell you. That. I no, I, I don't even want to review Tertullian because it's so. I, I like, how do you review it? Okay, look, we're reading this book and it's crazy. So I, that's my review, okay? That's my review of Tertullian. It's crazy, right? Because these okay, y'all are being very dismissive of me. That's the plan. No. So in two services, you're going to cover six Not Well, we just covered a paragraph in like five seconds. Yeah, I'm recording. Oh. People, th- those listening online, we're now having a church argument I'm sorry. as people are dismissive of my ability to yeah. proceed at a rapid rate of speed, even though I just demonstrated it at the end of this sermon by covering an entire chapter in how long? Five About five minutes. So obviously I can be done in one service. Oh. Okay. All right. Obviously. Okay. There we go. Glad, glad. See? Oh, you need to get baptized, so you would have a better faith. So I wouldn't have to have such a combative church. There we go, all right? Is that, would that fix it? Can y'all all say no? Because, all right, okay, it wouldn't fix it, guys. All right, all right. Let's pray, Lord God. We come before you this evening. Lord, thank you for a place where we can try to figure this out and work through it. It's complicated. It's difficult. But I hope that we can hold on to those simple principles to keep us from getting lost and trying to figure out all of these difficulties. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...